start in Genesis chapter 11. Anybody offhand uh, know what's in Genesis chapter 11? Uh, yeah, somebody does. Abraham. Abraham is in chapter 12, and we're going to get there in just a moment. In chapter 11, we have the Tower of Babel. Uh, you, you anticipated me getting to Abraham. Yeah, he's mentioned there. It doesn't get it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, right. <laughs> okay, so I, I want to focus, uh, so we start in Genesis chapter 11. Um, let's hear it for our awesome dulcimer player. Your name is? Jonathan. Jonathan. Yeah. All right, Jonathan. Um, a student of scripture, I think. So Genesis chapter 11, it's the story we call the Tower of Babel. What happened here? All mankind kind of got together. They all spoke the same language. In, we get the idea is there was just really one culture on earth at the time. And they got together and decided to build this monument, to build this tower, to reach into the heavens so that they could make a name for themselves. And God saw this wasn't exactly what he had in mind. They were focusing on themselves instead of giving the glory to God. And so what did he do? He brought judgment upon them. And how did he do that? He scattered them across the face of the earth by confusing their languages. You know, they're like, suddenly they're talking to each other, they can't understand each other, and it's like, anyway. So, you know, you can picture how that worked out, use your imagination. You know, uh, the people that spoke the same language kind of went off together in this direction, another in that direction, and so got scattered the nations around the world. And we think of this as God's judgment upon mankind for their rebellion against him. And yes, it was God's judgment, but I want to help you see that it was not just judgment, it was God's love and mercy. And we're going to see that by looking at Acts chapter 17. So if you uh, focus with me on Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, this is Paul's commentary on what God was doing as recorded in Genesis chapter 11. Acts 17, 26 and 27, Paul says, From one man God made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Sounds like Genesis 11. But then verse 27 gives a purpose statement. Why did God do this? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? How did it work out that God scattering the nations helped them seek him and reach out and find him? Well, it takes a little bit of, of thinking and putting pieces together, and I didn't put that all together myself. Someone else helped me. Um, and it goes like this, and let me plant this idea in your mind. God knew that if all mankind were united, they would be united in rebellion against him. And that's what we see in Genesis chapter 11 with the story of the Tower of Babel. And so he scattered them across the face of the earth into these cultural groups so that he could, for a season, slow down the spread of sin and work out his full redemptive purposes over the, over the years and the centuries as he created the nation of Israel and brought Jesus into the world, and we've had 2,000 years of Christian history since then. Um, but anyway, uh, God saw this. He saw, uh, this, is, this is a little extrapolation. There's no 
uh, clear scriptural, uh, you know, it's not spelled out in scripture this way, but I think this makes sense. Maybe it makes sense to you, it makes sense to me. You see, you've got cultures, and, and what are cultures like? You know, they have their way of doing things, their way of thinking and viewing the world, and we all, you know, we all take our cultural view, and it's like, yeah, it's the right one. Isn't it? Your cultural view, you know, my cultural view is the right one. This is how we all naturally think. And so these people, one culture, you know, they're here together, and they're looking at that other culture who do different sorts of things, who do bad things, who do evil things, who do sinful things, who go, whoa, we don't do that. You know, we're, we're pure, we're good. <laughs> they're bad, they do those things. Well, that culture over there, they look at this culture over here, and they see different things that they see as bad, and they say, oh, we don't do those things. We're good. They're bad. So there was a natural barrier to the spread of sins. Sin spread slowly because of these cultural barriers. Now, most of us think of culture and language barriers as an impediment to the spread of the gospel, and of that thing. Well, there's another side to that, I think. In any case, Paul is saying here that God had purpose in spreading the nations across the face of the earth. And this is one part of it, to slow the spread of sin so he could work out his redemptive purposes in the appropriate time. But of course, having unique uh, demonstrations uh, of God's glory in different cultures, to me, is like a beautiful diamond with many different facets that reflect light at different angles and different colors. And I see it as a beautiful and wonderful thing, and we're going to get to the scriptures in a moment uh, to see that as well, that the cultural mosaic that God has created in the world, and now with the mixing of cultures, even here in Longmont, even in this very room, a representation of a variety of cultures. It's a beautiful and wonderful thing. God is the author of diversity. God is the author of cultures. Um, sometimes, you know, we get that a little mixed up in cultural diversity because of the direction it's gone in, in American culture. We're kind of like, ooh, we get <laughs> Cultural diversity is a creation of God and is a beautiful and wonderful thing. All right, so... Genesis chapter 11, now we're going to get to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God picked out this one man, Abram, changed his name to Abraham, and through him created a nation through whom he would work his redemptive purposes. So Genesis chapter 12 and the first three verses, I guess, oh yeah, hey, we've got the slides. Awesome. Thanks, Jared. <laughs> Genesis 12, and verses 1 through 3, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And then he bursts through. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. From the very beginning, when God called Abraham, he was revealing his purposes, that the nation of Israel would not just be his special people so that they could keep it all to themselves, but that God wanted to bless the whole world. He wanted to bless all peoples, all cultures, through Abraham and through the Israelite nation. All right. 
We've done Genesis. Let's move to Exodus. Let's see. There's 66 books in the Bible. If we spend the same amount of time as we did on Genesis, maybe we will have lunch about 3 o'clock. Is that sound <laughs> Just kidding. I think we're aiming for 1120, and I'm going to do my best to hit that mark. We'll, we'll zip on through. We won't stop at every book, but we will. Go to Exodus. Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16. I want to show you another instance how throughout scriptures God's heart for the world and his purposes for all nations can be seen and how missions really is the basis for the Bible. Exodus 9, 16. Uh, this is God speaking through Moses to Pharaoh. And you remember the story, you know, Israelites were in bondage to the Egyptians, and God wanted to set them free. This was before the Exodus, and he had sent Moses and Aaron to speak to Pharaoh and ask him to let the Israelite people go, and Pharaoh was being stubborn about it. So we get to this verse. Uh, God says to Pharaoh through Moses, I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Wow. Okay. So how is that going to happen? How did that happen through what God did in Egypt at the time of the Exodus? Well, think of it this way. You remember the ten plagues, the hail, the frogs, darkness, all these kind of terrible things. Those were incredible, miraculous things. I mean, you just you, you read that story and it's just like mind-boggling. They were clearly supernatural events. There, there's no uh, credible natural explanation for these things. Um, God did a miracle in each and every instance in those ten times. So if you picture, um, you have to know kind of the way the world uh, was ordered in those days. Egypt was kind of the center of things. They were the center of trade. And maybe we've got some nods here. Maybe you, you historians know this at that time in history. Um, so people came from all over the world to Egypt to trade. So what happened in Egypt was known all over the world. And so God knew all these miracles that he did to help get his people out. His fame and his glory would go across the earth. People went from Egypt and went back to their homelands and said, Oh my goodness. You won't believe what I saw in Egypt. That God of the Israelites, oh my, he is powerful. You ever thought about that? God showed his glory among the nations through what he did at the time of the plagues uh, in Egypt. And even Pharaoh hardening his heart was God acting because the more Pharaoh hardened his heart and wouldn't let the people of Israel go, go the more God sent plagues in another plague. So, God was showing his glory to the nations through uh, Pharaoh and through what he did in Egypt. So, Genesis, Exodus, let's skip a few books and go to Joshua. God did an amazing miracle to get the Israelites out of Egypt, and then when the army of Egypt was following them, when Pharaoh had regret about having let them go, he opened up the Red Sea and they crossed in this miraculous event. Uh, the waters came back around uh, Pharaoh and his army. And then um, they wandered in the desert for uh, 40 years, and finally it was time to go into 
the promised land, and that's where we land here in Joshua chapter 4. And actually, uh, Joshua's recounting, I think it's Joshua recounting uh, what God did, and he says this, For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Again, this miracle, the miracle of the Red Sea, and now the miracle of getting them across the Jordan River, parting the waters, miraculous event. There were people who saw that and went back to their homelands and said, oh my God, oh my goodness, the God of Israelites is powerful and wonderful. So God was letting his faith and his glory go out across the world through these events. All right. We could go through every book of the Bible. I've seen scriptures uh, in every book of the Bible that in some way reveals God's heart for the nations. But we're going to jump ahead to the Psalms. These scriptures are throughout the Psalms. Someday, well, it'll take more than a day, but sometime, go through Psalms, read through Psalms, and think about it. How often is the nations, are the nations mentioned and begin to see God's purposes? Uh, it, was, it was a revelation for me when somebody suggested that to me. I've never seen Psalms that way. But the Psalms are full of references to the nations. And David, the great psalmist, the king, uh, he was one who understood that. And many of his Psalms speak of the nations. Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face shine on us, and then speaking to God, so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. The psalmist knew that God's purposes in blessing the nation of Israel were not just because he loved them. Yes, that was true, and he wanted to bless them, but he wanted them to be a blessing. And this psalm shows that, the psalmist, is inviting uh, and receiving God's gracious blessing upon uh, them, the nation of Israel. But he understood the purposes so that, purpose statement here, so that God's ways may be known on earth is salvation among all nations. All right, uh, that's Psalms. One more Old Testament scripture, Isaiah chapter 49 and verse Six. God, from the very beginning, had in his heart and mind to send a Messiah. And the Israelite people knew this. The prophets had foretold it in many different ways. And uh, the Jews to this day who don't believe in Jesus are still looking for a Messiah and missed it. Um, but the Israelites thought the Messiah was for them, and pretty much their idea was, you know, in contrast to the nations, the Messiah is for us. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, gives us a very different idea. It is too small a thing for you, speaking of the Messiah, to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God saw it was too small an idea that the Messiah would be for just one nation. He was going to be a Messiah for all nations, that his salvation would reach to the ends of the earth. 
So here we see it. Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, the Psalms, Isaiah, and throughout the prophets, you see again and again God's heart for the nations. So we see that missions really is the basis for the Bible because it's the, it's the foundation of God's story.